likes to be told thank you. Amen, amen, amen. God's been so good to each and every one of us. There's no way that we could ever express how good God has been. Amen. Good to see you in Sunday school this evening. If you have your Bibles, turn with me to the book of Exodus, chapter 25, as we continue walking through the tabernacle, studying each piece of furniture, and then how it applies to our life. Exodus chapter 25, verse number 8. And let them make me a sanctuary, that I may dwell among them according to all that I show thee, after the pattern of the tabernacle, and the pattern of all the instruments thereof, even so shall ye make it. Amen. Lord bless you. You may be seated this evening. I remind you that the entire purpose of the tabernacle, whole reason that the Lord brought this about, was so that a holy God could have a relationship with an unholy, sinful people. The Bible says that all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It doesn't matter what continent they lived on, what language they spoke, what color they were, everybody was born a sinner. It doesn't matter how good they were, how well they were raised, None of that matters. Everyone was born a sinner. And because of that nature, we're separated from the Lord. So God wanted to bridge the gap between humanity and deity. So he introduced this tabernacle. This relationship would only function properly if the people put the tent together as the Lord instructed them. There were, there were requirements. They couldn't just do it their way. And the same is true today. We have a book that provides us requirements, a roadmap, if you please. This is how you make it to heaven. You don't do it your way. You got to do it God's way. It was his, his blueprint if you don't start it right, you have a hard time finishing it right. I think I told you one time a couple of years ago, I got this little wild hair that I wanted to build a clubhouse for my, for my girls, a tree house, minus the tree. So I guess you call it a clubhouse. And I'm not a builder. I can't build a dog house. I can't, I can't even build a gingerbread house at Christmas time. I'm just not a builder. And so I just went and bought wood. I bought four by fours and whatever else I needed, and I figured this much out. You always need more than what you go originally to buy for. By the time it was said and done, I spent a lot of money on that clubhouse, and I built it permanent, so I couldn't even bring it with me. But I asked for the Lord. I said, for the Lord, how do you get something square? Like, because I was just measuring from post to post. As long as it was good in inches, that don't mean it's square. So he told me how you go from corner to corner. And I was back there by myself, and I was digging my holes, and I, I 
built it on the ground, I laid it out, and I kept measuring. And it just was not coming out right. And so you know what I did? I just said, that's good enough. That's close enough. I was hot, I was getting aggravated, and my Holy Ghost was being tested. Well, you know what? As it was going along, I started going, it's all right, it's good, it's good. But if you don't start square, you can't make it square. You can twist, you can pull, you can pry. And it ate me up that that's the longer, the, the further we got in the project, I noticed that's when you notice when you start going along that you didn't start right. And if you don't start this thing right, you're going to have a hard time finishing this thing right. God said there's some things that you gotta, you got to have down pat. you got to start right. And then you'll finish right. Let's look once again at the chart that we've been looking at. There's vertical. There's, there's furniture that represents vertical, God's plan of salvation. And then there's horizontal, which is God's plan of sanctification. The brazen altar, which we talked about, represents the blood. It, it, in the life of Christ, it was his death. How it applies to our life is that is the place of repentance. When we come to God, first thing that they saw when they came into that tabernacle was that altar. It was where that sacrifice was placed. It was where the shedding of blood happened. And this is why Paul said, I die daily. You got to repent. You got to put yourself on that altar. You gotta, you gotta confess, and 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 that's that blood that's applied. Then there's the brazen laver that priests would go and wash in that brazen laver, that water, and this in the life of Christ was his burial. The death was repentance. The burial was baptism. You repent of your sins. You're baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. It's more than just going underwater. But in the spirit, symbolically, you are buried with him in baptism. Your past, your sins are buried under the blood of Christ. And you rise a new creature. Then the, there's the Ark of the Covenant, which in just a moment we're going to talk about. It was the last piece of furniture. It represents the spirit of God. And this was the resurrection in, the, in Jesus Christ's life. And then in ours, it's the Holy Ghost. But then there's three more that we'll cover in, in, the, in the weeks leading or weeks to come. The golden candlestick represents the witness. Christ was the light of the world, and we are the light in the world. There's the altar of incense, which is prayer. Christ was our intercessor. And it's our, it's our responsibility to pray, thy kingdom come. Table of showbread, which is the word. Christ was the bread of life, and we put that word in our heart. But let's look. At Exodus chapter 25, verse number 10. And they shall make an ark of Shedem wood. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof, and a cubit and a half the height thereof. Thou shalt overlay it with pure gold. Within and without shalt thou overlay it, and shalt make upon it a crown of gold round about. And thou shalt cast four rings of gold for it, and put them in the four corners thereof. And two rings shall be in the one side of it, and two rings in the other side of it. Thou shalt make staves of sheet and wood, and overlay them with gold. 
Thou shalt put the staves into the rings by the sides of the ark, that the ark may be born with them. The staves shall be in the rings of the ark. They shall not be taken from it. And thou shalt put into the ark the testimony which I shall give thee. And thou shalt make a mercy seat of pure gold. Two cubits and a half shall be the length thereof, and a cubit and a half the breadth thereof. And thou shalt make two cherubims of gold of beaten work, shalt thou make them in the two ends of the mercy seat. And make one cherub on the one end, and the other cherub on the other end, even of the mercy seat shall ye make the cherubims on the two ends thereof. And the cherubims shall stretch forth their wings on high, covering the mercy seat with their wings. And their faces shall look one to another toward the mercy seat, shall the faces of the cherubims be. And thou shalt put the mercy seat above upon the ark. And in the ark thou shalt put the testimony that I shall give thee. And there I will meet with thee, and I will commune with thee from above the mercy seat, from between the two cherubims which are upon the ark of the testimony, of all things which I shall give thee in commandment unto the children of Israel. The Ark of the Covenant was the first piece of furniture that God gave specific instructions for because it was the most important piece of furniture in the tabernacle. It was on this piece of furniture that the high priest sprinkled the blood of atonement one time a year. It was from this piece of furniture that God's audible voice was heard. This was where his Shekinah presence dwelt between the cherubims. Among other names, the ark was called the ark of the testimony, the ark of the covenant, the ark of the Lord, the ark of God, the holy ark, and the ark of thy strength. It represents four things. The throne of God in the earth, the presence of God in the midst of his redeemed people, the glory of God revealed through worship and the fullness of the Godhead as revealed in Jesus Christ. And all that the ark was, was to Israel in the Old Testament, Jesus Christ is to his church in the New Testament. In the ark, or, or, or rather in the Old Testament, it was a piece of furniture. In the New Testament, it was in the body of Jesus Christ on this earth. So the ark was made of wood overlaid with gold. Gold represents deity. Wood represents humanity. Two substances, wood, gold, or gold, wood, gold. Two substances in three places, but one ark. In the New Testament, it was Father, Son, Holy Ghost. Three in one. They are one. One God. Inside the Ark of the Covenant was the law or the Ten Commandments. From God's perspective, he could not see the law that had been broken because it was covered by the blood on the mercy seat. The law was underneath the mercy seat. And so he put that mercy seat between him, the heavens, and the law because that blood was going to be applied. And so when he looked at a broken law, 
he would not see a broken law. He would see the blood that was applied once a year. Hey, friend, the only reason we're here is because of that precious blood. God doesn't see the laws that we've broken. He doesn't see all of our faults and our failures. But when he looks at us, he sees that blood that was applied to our life. To remove that mercy seat that was stained by blood would mean that it would expose and activate the law. And the law condemns. But this is what the Bible says. There is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. How is that possible? Because of the blood that was applied to our life. If God removed the blood, then we would be condemned because everybody has broken the law by our sinful nature. If we reject the blood, then we fall to the level of the law which means judgment. But if we accept the blood, that means we accept mercy. The blood is mercy. The blood provides a covering. This goes all the way back to the Garden of Eden when the, the Adam and Eve sinned. There was a slaying of an animal that provided two things. It provided blood and it provided a covering for their nakedness. You know what the law does? The law exposes us. And we see all of our flaws. But the blood covers us and hides our, our faults and our failures. The truth be told, if there was no blood, nobody would be here today because we would be condemned by the law. But that blood put upon that mercy seat. I know I'm jumping ahead of myself, but if I was Israel and I and I once a year that blood was applied, hey, I'd be so thankful to go to that tabernacle once a year because my sins were going to be rolled back. My sins were going to be pushed back. 1 Samuel 6, 19, and he smote the men of Beth Shemesh because they had looked into the ark of the Lord. Even he smote of the people 50,000 and threescore and ten men. And the people lamented because the Lord had smitten many of the people with a great slaughter. You know what happened? The Bible says they had looked into the ark of the Lord. They had, they had messed with that mercy seat to see what it was like on the inside of that ark. They removed that blood covering and they were condemned by the law that was under the mercy seat. And they died that day, thousands of people, because they messed with the ark of the Lord. They messed with that mercy seat. If the ark had been removed from the tabernacle, what, would, what remained would have been just an empty ritual. If you took that Ark of the Covenant out of that tabernacle, then all you had was ritualism. You, all, all you had was tradition because that was where the Lord rested, that mercy seat. Romans 3, 24, being justified freely by His grace 
through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God hath set forth to be a propitiation through faith in his blood, to declare his righteousness for the remission of sins that are past through the forbearance of God. Do you realize that Jesus Christ is our propitiation, which literally means that he is our mercy seat. No, we don't have to go to a tabernacle and one high priest go once a year, but now when that curtain was rent at Calvary, everybody has access to that mercy seat. Everybody has access to that propitiation for our sins. Luke 18, 13, and the publican standing afar off would not lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. What he was literally saying is, God, be a mercy seat to me, a sinner. Hebrews 10, or rather the mercy seat, was the only seat in the tabernacle. It was the only seat. Study the whole tabernacle. It was the only place to sit was the mercy seat. But no man ever sat there. This pointed ahead to the finished work of Calvary. Hebrews 10, 11, And every high priest standeth, Daily ministering and offering oftentimes the same sacrifices which can never take away sins. But this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, sat down on the right hand of God. John 19.30, when Jesus therefore had received the vinegar, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Ephesians 2 and 4. But God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace are ye saved, and hath raised us up together, watch this, and made us sit together in heavenly places. Christ Jesus. So throughout the old, whole Old Testament, those high priests could never sit. They were daily ministering in the temple. They were down at the tabernacle. They were standing. But it pointed because there was only going to be one time when one high priest sat down. And that was going to be when Christ said, it is finished. And he sat down at the right hand of God. And when he sat down, the Bible says, and ye are kings and priests. And from that point forward, he said, I'm going to sit down first. And everybody after me that's living for me can sit down together because there's no more work involved in trying to attain salvation because I provided it. Well, I thought I would teach this, but I'm ending up preaching this. I can't help but get worked up about this powerful blood of Christ and what Christ is for us. If we are seated where Jesus is seated, then we are seated in the Shekinah presence of God. Remember, the mercy seat was the Shekinah presence of God. And if we are seated in heavenly places, then that means 
We are in the presence of God. It makes perfect sense because we are filled with the Holy Ghost which is the Spirit of God. The word Shekinah simply means the one who dwells. So it refers to God visibly manifesting His presence among His people. And when Christ dwells in you, you have the Shekinah presence of God in you. Psalm 80 and 1, Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, thou that leadest Joseph like a flock, Thou that dwellest between the cherubims, shine forth. What's he talking about? He's talking about the mercy seat that dwelleth between the cherubims. All right, Exodus 29, 43. And there I will meet with the children of Israel, and the tabernacle shall be sanctified by my glory. So that Shekinah presence of God is the glory of God in the Ark of the Covenant, on the mercy seat. Let's keep going. Exodus 40, 35. And Moses was not able to enter into the tent of the congregation because the cloud abode thereon, and the glory of the Lord filled the tabernacle. Second Chronicles 7 and 2. And the priest could not enter into the house of the Lord because the glory of the Lord had filled the Lord's house. The glory of God. You had to do it God's way. That's why, that's why he was struck down when he reached out and touched that ark. Because he, you don't mess with the ark. You don't try to do things your way. In the Old Testament, Man could not enter God's glory. But in the New Testament, God's glory enters us by the power of the Holy Ghost. John 1, 14, And the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. John 17, 22, And the glory which thou gavest me, this is Jesus as the man praying to, to God, I have given them that they may be one, even as we are one. Do you realize that when you receive the Spirit of God in your life, evidenced by speaking in another tongue, you are getting the same glory of God that sat upon that mercy seat in that tabernacle, that that high priest could only see one time a year. And God said, I'm going to put it inside of you. And so everywhere you go, my glory's going to go. Every person that you touch, my glory is going to touch. John 14, 16. And I will pray the Father. He shall give you another comforter that he may abide with you forever. Even the spirit of truth whom the, Lord, whom the world cannot receive because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him. But ye know him, for he dwelleth with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to see you. This is Christ speaking to his disciples. He said, I'm going to give you the comforter, capital C. Anything with a capital is referring to deity. 
that he may abide with you forever, even the Spirit of Truth, capital S. Comforter refers back to the person speaking. Spirit of Truth refers back to the per person speaking, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but ye know him. How could they know him? Because they were with him. They were with him. The only way the disciples could know the comforter and know the spirit of truth is because they had been walking with him. For he dwelleth with you. Who dwelleth with you? He's speaking of himself. Jesus. He's, he's saying, I'm dwelling with you and shall be in you. I will not leave you comfortless. I will come to you. Romans 6 and 4 says, Therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How was Christ raised from the dead? He was raised by the glory of the Father. How are we going to be raised from the, from the, from the, the dead man that has to die in, in, in the salvation process? We're going to be raised by the glory of the Father. 2 Corinthians 4. I'm giving you a lot of scripture because you can't debate scripture. Verse 6, for God who commanded the light to shine out of darkness hath shined in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. But we have this treasure in earthen vessels that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. Colossians 1.26, even the mystery which hath been hid from ages and from generations. What mystery? The, the whole entirety of the Old Testament, every generation, God would drop clues. Anybody ever been on a scavenger hunt? Three people. My goodness. We need to live a little. They have these things called Escape rooms. Anybody ever done an escape room? Three people. Well, we're going to have to have a church event. They, they have these things now. They're popping up all over. They're called escape rooms. And you, you go in there. Uh, they have, depending on how big the room is, is how many people can go in there. And it's all different types of settings. I've been in a bunch of them. And it's anything from a classroom to a kid's playground to a, a, a Wild West saloon. You name it. They've all kind of, and you have one hour and you're locked into the room. And there's a camera and a, a screen in there and you have three clues and you're racing against time and you're looking for all these different clues to figure out the puzzle to get out of the room. The ultimate goal is to get out of the room. And so I've got this I've got this uh, strategy. I'm not saying it's the best strategy, but you get three clues that are free without taking off your minutes. And then every clue will take off like a minute or a minute and a half. And you're racing against, you know, they tell you this person did it in 20 minutes or whatever. So my philosophy is let's go ahead and start using all of our free clues to jumpstart this thing and start getting out of here. Well, everything is a mystery. 
And there's clues scattered throughout. Everywhere you look, it's clues without even realizing there's clues. And throughout the whole Old Testament, God was dropping clues along the way because everything was a mystery. But when we get to the New Testament, the Bible says he revealed the mystery to his saints. What is the mystery? The mystery of the Old Testament is pointing to Jesus Christ, which is God manifest in the flesh. And the Jews are still trying to look for it. But the Gentiles said, I see him in his fullness and in his glory. First Peter 1 and 8, whom having not seen ye love, in whom though now ye see him not, yet believing, he rejoiced with joy unspeakable and full of glory. The Jews saw him and rejected him. And the Gentiles didn't see him, but they embraced him. Do you realize how much faith it takes to embrace something that you've never seen? And Peter's saying, you haven't seen him, but you love him. And he has filled your heart with joy. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 6. I'm going to walk through these verses all the way down to verse number 18 as we come to a close. Who also hath made us able ministers of the New Testament. Not of the letter, but of the Spirit. For the letter killeth, but the Spirit giveth life. I can stop and preach right there. You know, this, this book right here, it can dice you to pieces. Because the letter killeth. The letter exposes your flaws. The letter reveals your weaknesses. But the Spirit that works with the word brings life. If all God gave us was the letter, then none of us could make it. But he said, I'm going to put the spirit with it because when I put the spirit with it, it's going to expose your flaws, but the spirit's going to come along and say, hey, we could take care of those flaws. We could That's called conviction. Conviction will highlight, but the spirit says, come on, don't let that push you away. I can help you along life's way. But if the administration of death written engraven in stones was glorious so that the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance which glory was to be done away how shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? For if the ministration of condemnation be glory much more doth the ministration of righteousness exceed in glory. For even that which was made glorious had no glory in this respect by reason of the glory that excelleth. I can tell right now I should have I read the English Standard Version. For if that which was done away was glorious, much more that which remaineth is glorious. Seeing then that we have such hope, we use great plainness of speech. And not as Moses, which put a veil over his face, that the children of God could not steadfastly look to the end of that which was abolished. But their minds were blinded. For until this day remaineth the same veil, untaken away in the reading of the Old Testament, which veil is done away in Christ, 
But even unto this day, when Moses is read, the veil is upon their heart, speaking of the Jews. Nevertheless, when it shall turn to the Lord, the veil shall be taken away. Now, the Lord is that spirit. And where the spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. But we all with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord, are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of our Lord. Hey, friend, I want you to hear this. The only way that we're going to step from this side to the other side is somewhere along the way. we got to come in contact with that Ark of the Covenant, which is Jesus Christ, and we get that glory of God in our heart, the power of the Holy Ghost. The Bible says in the book of Acts that there was a time when the Lord winked at their ignorance. But now commandeth all men everywhere to repent. In other words, there was a time God had a little more leniency because it was all ritualism. There was no Holy Ghost in the Old Testament. There was no Spirit of God in the Old Testament. It was not available yet. You know how hard it would be to live for God without the Holy Ghost? Can't do it. That's why you had to have rules. But when the Spirit of God was given... Now, he said, now that there's an opportunity to have the Holy Ghost in your heart, now he commands all men everywhere to repent, to turn from their wicked ways, to be baptized in the only saving name, which is Jesus Christ, and to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, uh, that Ark of the Covenant, uh, that Spirit of God. Uh, and when you get the Holy Ghost in you, the Bible says He's going to change your heart. He's going to change your mind. Uh, he's going to change your thoughts. Uh, and now, everywhere you go, He goes. You know, Christ was, or God was manifest in the flesh in the form of Jesus Christ but he still desires to be manifest in the flesh through humanity. He said, when you get the Holy Ghost, you're going to be witnesses unto me. The whole reason of having the Holy Ghost is not just to put a check by our name and say, I made it. That's not the reason. Everything Christ did drew people and pointed people to God. And so shall it be, and it's supposed to be in our life, that we're supposed to point people to Him because of the Spirit of God that's working in us. Stand with me right now. Everything we are, the whole purpose of repentance, baptism in Jesus' name, and the infilling of the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God, is to point people to Jesus. And this is what the Bible says. He said, You're, it likens us unto salt. Salt makes people thirsty. Why do you think when you go to events, they salt the popcorn so much? Because you're going to buy more drinks. That's just an old trick. Thirsty. 
And if the Bible says if the salt has lost its savor, in other words, you're not having the effect on people that you're supposed to have. You're supposed to make people thirsty and desire what you have. The power of the Holy Ghost. I'm thankful today. I want us to lift our hands and I want us to thank the Lord for His Spirit that has filled our hearts. Lord, I'm so thankful for repentance. I'm thankful for baptism. But what good would that be if we did not have opportunity to have your spirit in our life, to have that touch of heaven visit our soul and to lead us and to guide us. That ark of the covenant in the Old Testament established through Jesus Christ in the New Testament. Thank you, Lord, for that spirit and for that salvation.